Um, tonight we're going to kind of pull back a little bit and then look at how it is that we can do that. Why is it, why is it that we can now uh, love each other? Um, it's not focusing so much uh, on the hardness of it, but on the, uh, our ability to do it. When I was first told that I'd be preaching the Maudie Thursday service, um, being from a uh, Baptist background, which doesn't know what a church calendar is, really. Um, actually, I've never been to a Maudie Thursday service before. Um, so I had to look up what Monday Thursday means. And I found out that Monday Thursday is uh, a phrase that we get from the Latin Vulgate for the, a, it's a translation uh, into Latin from the words Jesus spoke on this very night several th- uh, 2,000 years ago. Um, and the phrase uh, is, I guess the phrase is mandatum novum, which is put in English, new mandate. New mandate. Or, as we have it in the Pew Bible, new commandment. Um, So we are going to look at the new commandment tonight. Um, That phrase comes from John 13, 34, where he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. However, um, even though I'm going to focus on the new commandment, I'm not going to focus on the commandment as given by Jesus on this night. And the reason I'm not going to do that is partly because he gave that commandment before he died before he went through his sufferings and before he was raised again from the dead. But now, 2,000 years later, um, we are now post all of his sufferings, really post-passion, if you will, post-passion week. And what I want to do is look at this commandment in light of the resurrection. In other words, he gave it before, but I want to look at it from the light of looking at it after. And so to do that, I'm going to have our text for tonight be 1 John 2, 7 through 11. And I think this is, uh, obviously, this text relates to, our, to the passage from Jesus given the new commandment. Part of the reason I'm going to look at it from this perspective is because it's really hard to enter back into the suffering and the agony that the disciples had that night um, and that weekend and all before Christ rose again, partly because even though they told, they were told by Jesus the rest of the story, they knew what was going to happen, or at least Jesus had told them, um, we definitely know. In other words, we know that on Sunday we're going to be told and then we'll shout in response, he is risen indeed. Uh, so I want to look at this text from that perspective. 
Let's read together the text. 1 John 2, 7-12 Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Before we enter into this, let me ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we do go to you for all of our help. Lord, these words, though they are life-giving, can fall on deaf ears. This commandment, uh, though I have prepared, can come out poorly. We're dependent on you, and we ask that you would Feed us tonight from your word and strengthen us for keeping your commandment. In Jesus' name, amen. There's three things that I want to address tonight, really three questions that I want to ask and then have an answer for tonight. The first is, what is this commandment which John is writing about? The second is, How is it both old and new at the same time? And finally, the third question I will answer or ask and then answer is, what is the nature of this commandment? First, let me point out uh, that this commandment that um, John is speaking of, though he calls it uh, old and new, really is the commandment that Jesus gave, which Jesus calls the new commandment to love each other. Um, even though that phrase is not used in our passage tonight, uh, I think that it's clear that this is the commandment John is talking about. And I'll just point that out by looking at a couple spots from First John. Um, because in other spots he makes it clear that this is indeed what he is talking about. In First John 3.23 he says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So there we have part of the commandment stated clearly. Again in 1 John 4.21 we read, And this commandment we have from him, who loves God, or he who loves God must also love his brother. And in case there's still any question, I want to look at one more passage in 1 John 2. Uh, our passage tonight. Uh, In verse 7, which is the first verse from our text tonight, uh, it reads, Beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. And there we see that they've had it from the beginning and that it's the word which they've heard. 
And that corresponds with uh, chapter 3, verse 11, where John says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So I think it's clear tonight that the commandment John is speaking of, this new commandment, which is an old commandment and yet new again, um, is the very commandment Jesus spoke uh, on this night just over, or just about 2,000 years ago. Um, so that answers the first question. What is this commandment? The second question is, how can he call it at the same time old and yet new? So I'm going to look at that for a little bit now. Uh, well beyond... I'm sorry, beyond the fact that verse 7 clearly states that this commandment dates back uh, to the beginning when we, they first heard the word, and beyond the fact that it points back to Jesus' statement uh, in John chapter 13, I also want to show that this commandment dates back way before Jesus ever spoke these words. It dates back at least 1,500 years before to when the people were enslaved to Egypt and were brought out of Egypt uh, by God's strong hand and through the work of Moses. At that time, we read uh, in Deuteronomy, in, Deuter um, in, sorry, in Leviticus 19.18, Moses gives this commandment by God to the people. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So here we see that the commandment is old indeed. The commandment dates back way before Jesus ever spoke those words. But if it's that old, if it's at least 1,500 years before Jesus spoke it, how can Jesus then call it new? Why does Jesus call it a new commandment that he's giving? In one sense, you might ask the question, is Jesus ignorant of this commandment? Did it somehow slip him that this commandment had already been given? And the answer is quite obviously no, because just the day before in the temple, Jesus taught on this commandment from Moses, from Leviticus 19.18 when one of the scribes came up to Jesus in the temple and he asked Jesus which was the most important commandment of all the commandments Moses gave, Jesus responded, one part of his response was from this passage in Leviticus 19.18. In Mark 12.29, we have the, uh, the question, this whole dialogue, and Jesus' response. In Mark 12.29, Jesus answers, the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no other commandment greater than these. So it's clear that Jesus knew this commandment. He taught on it. Not only that, he placed it up there with at the very top, uh, just under loving God, is the second commandment, the second greatest commandment, which is to love 
one another. So then we have to ask the question, well then, how is it new? Why does he call it new if even Jesus knows this has been around for a long time? How I want to answer this question is, I want to look at the difference between how Jesus frames the commandment to love one another and how it was framed in the Old Testament with Moses and the context in which it was framed. Because I think that it's in looking at the context between the two commandments and how they're given that we see the difference between the oldness of the one and the newness of Jesus's. If you turn back in your scriptures, I don't know if you've got Leviticus 19 open, but Leviticus 19.18 isn't the only spot where that commandment is given. Uh, Just later on in verse 34 of Leviticus 19, that same commandment comes up again, but now in a different context. In Leviticus 19.34, we read, You shall treat the sojourner or the stranger who lives with you as a, um, who lives among you as a native, you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Leviticus 19:34, what we see is part of the driving force of the love commandment of to love your neighbor as yourself, or to love the sojourner who is your neighbor in the land with you. The driving force behind that is because the Israelis, the Israelites, were once foreigners in another land. In other words, they've got this experience that they have gone through. And now when somebody else has that same experience, they are to remember that, that they once lived in a foreign land and they're supposed to uh, love them as they would have wanted to be loved while they were in Egypt. Um, however at this point we run into a problem and the problem is even though the um, the support that is given in this passage the support being remember that you were once slaves even though that sounds like a good ground clause Meaning, it sounds like a good reason why these people might want to love the sojourners who are with them. The problem is, it's not a very strong one. If somebody's inclined not to love their neighbor, if you were to say, but think about when you were in that way, uh, think about when you had those difficult circumstances somebody just isn't a very loving person, is that going to be enough to make them love their neighbor? And I'm suggesting that it's not enough. That there's, a, there's, a, there's more of a problem here than just recalling former experiences that you've had. Um, and so part of what I'm suggesting is this is, in a sense, this is a weak commandment. And... It's weak because all of Israel's history from then on will show that this commandment had no power to actually cause the Israelites to love not only the sojourner in their land, but their own brothers and sisters. 
Um, actually, we'll see if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see um, often they hated each other. You could look at the uh, relationship between David and Saul or any of the relationships between the prophets and those uh, who were the leaders of the days when the prophets were around. Um, there's always this tension. It never goes away. And the commandment, I'm suggesting, was not strong enough to cause them to love their neighbors. Part of the reason why this is a a problem is because I think what we have is two different um, things going between really the support for why somebody should love another person and where love comes from. The why of Israel's commandment, why they were supposed to love the people, was back in an experience that most of Israel would never even have experienced. They're supposed to remember their parents' troubles in Israel. Uh, I mean, sorry, in Egypt. Um, so pretty soon you have a, it's removed from the first uh, person anyway. Um, but beyond that, it was the difference between an external act of God, externally acting upon a nation, bringing them out from one nation to another, and the internal command that somebody should have internal feelings, affections, and love for somebody else. Um, part of what I'm suggesting is that the, there's the correspondence uh, isn't right for the for the command. This illustration that I'm going to use does not work perfectly, um, but it kind of gives an idea for what it would look like um, for God to bring Israel out of the land and then give them commandments that they were supposed to keep, but basing it on a, uh, on a reason that is, um, I guess, not very strong. The illustration I was thinking of was, think about a wealthy person in this area, and the wealthy person decides that he wants to Support a homeless family, maybe who lives downtown. And the homeless family has been living in the streets for the last several years. The husband is unemployed. Um, They can't make ends meet. And as this wealthy person walks past, they decide, his heart goes out to him, and he says, I want to take care of this person. And so he decides to buy him a home. And he goes and he finds, say, a mansion um, that has, I mean, it's just a large house. Maybe it's worth over, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've got a couple houses in this area that are well over a million dollars, but just one of the biggest houses you can find in this area. Um, And then the person decides, since this family doesn't have anything, what he's going to do is he's going to furnish it. And so he gets all the furniture and all the appliances um, and all the uh, sheets and uh, soap and toiletries, all the toiletries. 
Basically, he goes through and he thinks of everything that this family will possibly need. And he furnishes the house. He gets the whole thing set. The question I have is, what is the likelihood that this family is going to still be in this house a couple months, at the most a year down the road? If that's all the man did, and I, I say it's probably not likely that that family will be in that house because what is the family going to do when the first tax, property tax bill comes? What's he gonna, how are they going to support the um, heat and the water bill? And um, I mean, you name it for a house of that size. How can a family be able to support something like that? Um, a lot of you with the jobs, good jobs you do have and the good homes you do have already find it hard to make those ends meet. Um, but this is kind of how I see what God was doing with Israel. He brought them into a land of milk and honey and he even told them how to live in it. But what he didn't do was he didn't circumcise their hearts. He didn't give them the ability to actually live in that house. Um, so the way I see it, that is an old commandment. Though it's a good commandment, and though Israel should have lived by it, they didn't have the ability to live by it. Um, part of the reason why I say they don't have the ability to live by it is because Deuteronomy 29, verses 2 to 4, Moses makes it clear that even though they have received all these commandments, they have not been given the ability to keep them. I'll read Deuteronomy 29, uh, 2 through 4. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants in the land. In other words, Israel saw the power of God here. They saw God come in and ravish the most powerful nation that was around. And they had God. They knew God took them out of that land and brought them into a new land. However, Moses then continues and says, even though you've seen all these great wonders, verse 4, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Uh, and what we see then is for the rest of the history of Israel is that they are not able to keep these commandments. In fact, part of the law as it was set up was there was commandments given to Israel that they had to obey and if they didn't obey it they weren't allowed to live in the land anymore in other words in this big house somebody's got to pay those taxes somebody's got to pay the utilities um, the Israelites had to obey God's commandments and what God said was if you obey you will have peace and you'll dwell in this land but if you do not obey them, you will be 
as actually the, as you will be vomited out. The land will vomit you out. Um, and that is the history of Israel. If you look through the period of the judges, the people are vomited out of the land and they come back, but then they're vomited out again. You get this constant back and forth. And then the time of the kings, the kings fail and the people fail and the whole nation is scattered among the nations. Um, so it, that commandment to love your neighbor as yourself was not... Uh, wasn't fulfilled by Israel, and indeed it could not be fulfilled because they had not been given ears to hear or eyes to see. However, obviously something has changed since Jesus uh, gave this commandment. What I'm suggesting in what what the New Testament says is that since Israel, there's now a kind of new exodus, um, a new being brought out of the land, the land of slavery. However, this is being brought out of the land that is a slavery to sin. Um, and in fact, this is the context for the new commandment. For the old commandment, the context was an external work of God. The new commandment is given in the context of an internal working by God on, on a person's heart to give them a new heart to actually be able to obey this commandment. If we look at John 13:34, that was where that was the spot where we had the commandment. It says, "A new commandment I give to you to love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another." The other difference that we see here is now there's a new grounding principle. And the new one is now we see how Jesus loved and that's how we will then love. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And we see then this through the whole New Testament. At this point, uh, there's a new principle in effect which we'll see throughout such as Ephesians 5.25 uh, you have the commandment husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in other words we have our example now in Jesus and we're to act as he acted um, or back in 1 John our, the book we're looking at tonight in chapter 4 verse 9 we have this in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what we see is now we have a new context that this commandment is set in. The new context is that God has so loved us. How did he love us? That he actually dealt with the sin problem. He sent his son to suffer, to obey, to die, and then to be raised again. And he has now taken away the sin problem. He's, he's really what he's done is he's allowed us, he's, he's, he's put us in the place that we can now actually keep this commandment. 
and that moves me to our to my third point. Uh, the final question I had was, so what is this new nature of the commandment, um, and how does it work? Well, the new um, nature of this commandment is that it's visible. In other words, even though I've said that it's no longer an external ground, that it's actually something that happens inside, it doesn't stay inside. It will become visible. Um, It doesn't stay hidden. Look at, uh, this is our passage, 1 John 2.8. There, John says that this commandment, I'm sorry, let me get the text in front of me. First John 2.8. When, when he talks about the new commandment, this is now he says that it's a new commandment that he's writing. And he says it's true in him and it's true in you. The word true there, I, wanna, I think it, you need to understand this because it's, when I first looked at it, I thought, what is that saying? It's true in him and it's true in you. Well, the, the word there, true in him and true in you, has the meaning behind it, uh, both of true, but also it has also the concept of genuine or verifiable. And it's in that third sense that it's being used here. Meaning, this commandment was verifiable in him and it's verifiable in you. John can say that the commandment was true in Jesus because it was verified that he was keeping it, that he was doing it in his laying down his life for his friends, for his disciples, for us. Um, And then John can say, it's true in you because it's verifiable in you. We can see the loving actions of of each other when we lay down our our lives for each other. Um, So he can speak of this commandment being, it's actually true now, it's verified, it's true in you, and it's true in Jesus. Um, There's one other thing that I want to point out before I move into a kind of concluding applications is that this commandment, as I've said, though it was evident, I want to look at how it is evident or in what manner that it is evident. When Jesus first gave this commandment in 1334, in other words, on Commandment Thursday, on Monday Thursday, that first Thursday, after he gave that commandment, he had a follow-up statement. So I want you to look at that real quick. In 13, this is following up on 1334, which we've already looked at. After... 
he makes this statement in John 13:34 that they're to love one another. In verse 35, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, Jesus can say, it's going to be so plain and so evident to everybody whether you're my disciple or not by the simple fact of whether you love one another. Um, this commandment w- will not be hidden. People will know the difference of, of whether you're Jesus' disciple or not. And they'll see it by whether you love each other. Actually, John reiterates this point back in 1 John now, in 1 John 3, verse 10, we read, By this it is evident, or as I think the Pew Bible translation says, by this it is obvious who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So now we have Jesus saying that people will know you by whether uh, you love one another. And John can follow up and say it's obvious or it's evident whether you're a child of God or whether you're a child of the devil because you either love people or you don't. If If you are one who... Uh, lays down his life for another and you believe in Jesus and it's obvious. It's just evident. Everybody around you can tell uh, whose child you are. Though I've, I've stated, um, I think, quite clearly in my last sermon what it means to um, love other people. Um, that it's hard work, it's the will of God, but it's hard work, and that it's so hard that it's going to require endurance. Um, I also want to just point out that Jesus, just a little bit later on, on that very night, on that Monday, Thursday night, made another statement about this love uh, for one another and that new commandment that he gave. In 1512, he says, again, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. In other words, this love that Jesus is talking about, this love commandment, this new commandment, is such that it requires dying to yourself. It requires... Uh, looking after the other needs, other people's needs, uh, more so than even your own. Um, and this is the very thing that Jesus did. This, this is what we remember and that we celebrate this week and this weekend. It's Jesus loving us so much that he laid down his life uh, for us. The other thing is this night, um, as uh, Dave had already mentioned, um, the other way that Jesus showed how uh, we are to love each other was in his uh, washing of his disciples' feet. Um, 
as I look through the Monday, Thursday, the history of Monday, Thursday, uh, somewhere early on in the church, the tradition arose to uh, to have other people wash feet. Um, in other words, other than Jesus, it, it became a something that was done each each year on Monday, Thursday, um, to kind of commemorate Jesus washing feet at that time. Um, in other places, of the church they began um, giving what they would call Monday gifts. Um, they call it, I don't know how it got called commandment gifts, but it was giving good uh, gifts to I, I think primarily to the poor. Um, but it was in his washing of his disciples' feet um, that Jesus showed clearly. Uh, what he wanted us to do. In other words, he does want us to lay down our lives for each other, but on a day-to-day practical thing, what does that look like? And what it looks like is to... Kind of hard to do, because even though Jesus' example was very practical in his day, what Jesus did was he took off his robe, um, he put a towel around his waist, and... He got down at the feet of his disciples and he began with a water basin wiping down, taking a towel and wiping down their feet. Um, And that day, you get the idea that you couldn't get much lower as far as service. Um, In fact, it was such a low service um, piece that Peter can't handle it. I don't know if you remember, but um, when Peter, when Jesus started washing Peter's feet, Peter says, "No, Lord, you may not do this to me. Um, this is not right." Um, Jesus responds to him in uh, in verse twelve, I believe, of chapter thirteen. I'm sorry, after Jesus um, tells Peter that Peter can't have any part with him if he doesn't allow Peter to wash, Jesus follows up by explaining what he was doing. In verse 12, he says, When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Um, In other words, Jesus is saying, you need to love one another as I have loved you. How have I loved you? I've given my life for you. I've given you an example of doing the dirtiest jobs for each other. Um, in other words, just a total, all-out, self-sacrificing, self-denying giving of oneself for the benefit of somebody else. Um, so I just want to leave off with this one point. Well, I'm, I'm not going to go through for you and have uh, some packaged things for you to do, um, kind of as I did last time. Because this is um, partly because it's so practical to um, 
I know you can think of five things that you can do that would be dirty and that would help somebody else. And for each of you, it's going to be different of what things you can do. However, what I do want to leave you with is it will be evident to others whether you're doing it. In other words, Jesus can say that others will know that you're his disciples by whether you're doing it. And John can say it's going to be obvious whether you're a child of God or whether you're a child of the devil. And it's going to be obvious by how you love each other. The last thing I want to say is Jesus' death and resurrection has made this old commandment new because in his death and resurrection, he has brought us to the point, in other words, he's taken care of the sin problem, that we now actually can obey this commandment joyfully. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the work of your Son, for the love of your Son, for your love for sending him in his humbling himself. Lord, as I looked at this over the week and thought about it and thought about the glory that he left, the glory that in his mighty power he created this universe, the glory that... uh, an amazing glory that just one of the stars in our galaxy is five million times brighter than our sun. A glory so splendid we can't get our minds across it. And yet, this small world became his footstool for a time. And then he humbled himself beyond just coming here, but in serving in the most base ways and in then giving his life through great suffering and loss of life to show that he loved us and then to enable us to love him. Lord, we thank you for this and we ask that you would make it evident to others that we are your children, that you would empower us to live according to your commandment. In Jesus' name, amen.